0: This morning's scripture reading is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'd like to read responsively 10 verses of scripture to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 8. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse number 15. Allow me to read the five even-numbered verses, or excuse me, odd-numbered verses, and would you read with me, please, in unison the five even numbered verses through verse number 8 of chapter 4. And as always, in respect to the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, reading responsively. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now the spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. May God bless blessing through the reading of his word. Let us make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, take these words that were expressly spoken by the Spirit of God and speak distinctly, specifically to each heart and mind of each person that's in the sound of this voice. We'll thank you for it. Bless the children downstairs in a few moments. Bless as we exalt you and lift up your word this morning we pray these things in Jesus name amen you may be seated first Timothy chapter 4 first Timothy 4 people <clears throat> we've gone from young men first Timothy 1 to lost men to babies to leaders to pastors to deacons. This morning we're on the subject of the apostates. Verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I want you to notice This morning, as we dissect verse number one in very great detail, or somewhat detailed at least, the Bible says, now the Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, speaketh expressly. I want to deal, and I'm prepping you on purpose here. I want to let you, preparing you to let you know this is not a, I'm sorry, I apologize in advance. This is not a so-called positive message. This is a very negative subject. When we deal with apostates, I want you to know that it's not something to be applauded or something to be happy about. It should be very sad. The Bible says the Spirit speaks expressly. I want you to consider, if you would, this morning to begin with in wave way of introduction, the fact of apostates. Apostasy is real. The Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. That word expressly there is the only time it's found in all of our New Testament. I defined it for you on purpose. It's it means that word expressly means explicitly, in detail, exactly, in specific terms. In other words, apostasy is real. We could have a whole series of messages, a whole thirteen-week series of messages on the subject of apostasy. We have but one message to do this in this series of messages. And the Spirit wants us to know succinctly, expressly, definitely, in specific terms, that this is a real-life truth in actuality. We live in a pagan, fallen world. There's apostasy all around us. They may mock, and people, and the greatest ruse of the devil, by the way, is the ruse, if you read that, had time to read, probably not, but if you read the Welcome to the Pastor, I put in the first paragraph, and I, I just synopsize I uh, said that, that uh, what did I say? <laughs> oh, that uh, I know what it is. That uh, people think that Christians, the greatest apostasy is that the idea that there is no apostasy. The idea that Satan would love for you to believe that he's not real. Satan would love for people to believe that the demons are a figment of wild Christians' imaginations. Unless you're a Satanist worshiper, then you like it like that. But the fact of the matter is apostasy is real, and our Bible speaks much about apostasy in the Old Testament. And we talked about Genesis and the flood this morning in Sunday school class for a while, and the apostasy that took place before the days of the flood, and the apostasy that's taking place before the coming of the Son of Man. It's definite. It's going to happen, regardless if people think that we're just wild-eyed fundamentalists, fundamentalist, or just crazy Christians. Apostasy is real. The Bible says the Spirit speaks expressly, that in the latter times. I want you to notice the fact of the apostates; it's definite, but I want to give you the definition, and there's not room on your worksheet, obviously, to give you a detailed definition, but I want you to notice the Bible says some shall depart, middle of verse 1. They shall depart. That word is the word aphistomy, uh, 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 or we get our word, up, it's a derivative of the word apostase. We find this word depart many times in our New Testament. About 41 times it's translated as this word, ephistome. The word means to fall away. The Bible says there to come a day when people will fall away. They'll turn their ears from the truth, having itching ears. There'll be a day of falling away. There'll be a day of refrain where I don't want to have anything to do with that. Don't touch that. They're crazy. There'll be a day of withdrawing. A day of turning away. This, this uh, fist to me. this depart means the turning away from the faith. And I want you to notice every word of God is there for a purpose. Every word of God is pure. Notice verse one again for the third time already. And shall depart from not a faith. I'm not preaching the Baptist faith this morning. There's plenty of Baptists that don't believe what I believe, by the way. I'm not preaching the Catholic faith. I'm not preaching the Protestant faith. I'm preaching the faith of the word of God. God's faith. It's the faith. Turn in your Bibles. So I want you to see this, if you would, please. Jude 3 and 4. There's only one chapter in Jude. And if you look at verse number 3, the Bible makes it clear that it's a defense. The, the book of Jude is sometimes titled, The Acts of the Apostates. In Jude 3, verse number, verse number 3, rather, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful, when I gave all diligence, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you Notice expressly speaking expressly here, succinctly, that ye should earnestly contend for the faith, notice, contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. I'm preaching the same gospel and the same faith that's been being preached for 2,000 plus years now. This is not my faith. This is not our, our version of faith. This is the faith God says, I want you to, because there will be some that will depart from the faith. Verse 4, of Jude, Jude says, For there are certain men crept in unawares, stealth, who were before of old ordained to this sort condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Go back now to 1 Timothy 4. Is a turning away of the faith. Let me, give you a, let me read it to you, a detailed definition of what apostasy is. Apostasy, in simplistic form, in a short definition, is this, is a rebellion against God because it is a rebellion against the truth, the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one come to the Father but by me. There's only one truth. There's not your truth, my truth, and his truth or her truth. There's the truth of the said gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are two types of apostasy. Type number one, those who have knowingly turned completely from Jesus Christ and no longer even pretend to be Christians. And those that still claim to be Christians but have departed from the faith or the great faith. Now I want you, in in context and understanding the definition of apostasy, I want you to go back to verse 15 of the previous chapter. Look at it carefully. Paul said to Timothy, his young son of the faith, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. By the way, let me just stop right there and just say, folks, you know, there's a lot of churches around, and we're, not, we're far from the, the best church. We're far from the perfect church. we got a lot of sinners. we got a big sinner from the pulpit. I understand all of that. But this is the church of the living God. This is the, this is the place of the pillar and ground of the truth. And I, I, I have a phrase. I probably won't use it because it will be interpreted wrong. But I, do a, I wanted to do a phrase. I thought about doing a banner out front. I don't think we're going to do it my banner would be, we still do church here. Because yeah. we're getting away from church. The church, not the college, and I'm not against colleges per se, but the church is, not, this is a pillar and ground of the truth. A pillar and ground of the, of the truth. Now notice verse number 16. And I have to do this quickly. I wish I had an hour, but I don't. And without controversy, greatest mystery of godliness. What's the next word, class? Help me out. Thank you, Francine. I appreciate that. Let me try that again now that that I've prepped you. And without controversy, greatest mystery of godliness, what's the next word? Well, that was very good. Thank you, Brother Paul. I heard that. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. That's what my Bible says. Now, I I doubt, I know there's many different versions out there. You're following in a modern day English translation, chances are it doesn't say God. Chances are it says He. I'm going to give you and I just challenge you. Don't take my word for it. Don't believe me. Check it out. You can Google this and find it real fast. You go back to 1800 years ago, and there were three guys by the name of Origen, who was the smartest man supposedly of the first thousand years since Christ, Origen, a guy named Arius. And the guy named Eusebius typed in their names so volumes have come up on them. Books have been written about them. Arian doctrine. Arius was a student of of origin. And they they were in the they were in the Harvard, the Cambridge, the the Oxford of the day. They lived in Alexandria, Egypt, still there today. Well, the remnants of it at least. And we know for a fact in 1881, I'm giving you church history, not Christian history, church history. In 1881, two Anglican Priest. Let me fast forward 1500 years. By the names of Westcott and Hort, they found an 1844 manuscript. It's called the Sinaiticus. It's in the London Museum right now, as we speak. It's the most famous manuscript in the world, hands down. It's an Alexandrian manuscript. Everybody knows that, both sides of the fence. And everybody knows that Arius, of course, followed, denied the Logos, or what we know of as Jesus Christ. In the beginning, John 1:1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And right here in my Bible, it says, Greatest mystery of God is God was manifest in the flesh. Well, the scholars at the college in Alexandria, check it out. Read it for yourself. Arius said, There's no way that a man could ever be God. He took one letter, one letter, and again, so passionate about this, it frustrates me. A quarter-inch letter. They change it. They change the theta to an omicron, or to a from a th to an o. It would be like the difference between the word "fat" and the word "eat" is one little letter or one little line on the bottom of the e. Changes it from fat to eat. With that analogy, every tittle, every jot and tittle of the word of God is pure. God promised not only to inspire His word but to preserve His word. And in 1881, I said I'd try to do this quick. I'm not doing it quick, but I'm trying. In 1881, the higher critics, that's their name for themselves. The higher critics created the critical text. That's their name that they give for their, their new Bible. They created a new text, and since 1881, and all the, almost all the new modern versions all follow the critical text. That's the name of it. Nestles of Land, there's several other names. westcott of but we know it as the critical text. And they changed that one letter. And their Bible reads who. Who was manifested in the flesh. Well, God, Jesus was manifested in the flesh, but there's a difference between Jesus and our choir just saying it. He was 100% man. He was so much man, he, what's the, what, what's the word of the song say? There's so much man, help me out, choir. He rested in the boat. He got tired. He was so much God, he could come to the sea, whatever your song said. He's the God man. You see, the roots of apostasy, the Spirit speaks expressly. It started with the denial. The greatest apostasy there is is denied, and the Jehovah Witnesses love it. The Mormons love it. Apostate Protestantism loves it. They deny that Jesus is God. They deny the Logos, and it goes all the way back. The apostasy goes all the way back to the first century, of course, and of course to the third century, and you can read all about it if you take the time to do it. The Bible says, "For Second Timothy, 2 Corinthians two seventeen, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as a sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God speak we in Christ." There are Bible corruptors out there and destroying the doctrines of the Word of God by changing, changing the Word of God. It no longer is it God; it's He. And Jehovah Witnesses say that's the right translation. No, the Spirit speaks expressly. He gives a definition of apostasy. Adrian Rogers, a great preacher of just a few years ago, died maybe 10 years ago, preached a message on Jude 13 and 14. He called apostates dangerous, says, like a hidden rock, deceptive like a waterless cloud, dead like a fruitless tree, disturbed like wild waves of the sea, and doomed like a wandering star. There's nothing good in apostasy. Apostates are damned and on their way to hell unless they are converted to Jesus Christ. There is the fact, back to our text now, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, there is the fact the Spirit speaks expressly, it's definitely true, succinctly, specific terms he talks about throughout the Word of God about apostasy. It's real and it's present in our present day. He gives a definition and he starts to define it here in our text before us. But I want you to notice, secondly, notice verse number one again. Now, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times. When I checked the calendar this morning, it was 2019. I think we're in the latter times. 2,000 years have gone by since Jesus Christ walked this earth. The latter times of the days and the seasons, you need not that I write unto you, Paul said in 1 Timothy or 1 Thessalonians 5, for yourselves know perfectly well that they they shall not come except they become a falling away first. I want you to consider the times of the apostates, the when, letter A, on our worksheet. Turn turn three pages in your Bible, probably, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's last letter before his head was taken off. And he said these words in about A.D. 64. This know also... That in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Nobody like that here, are there? Is there? Covetous. We don't have any problem with that, do we? <laughs> Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Disobedience to teachers. Disobedient to th- Authorities. When you can have ten, when you have ten-year-olds, fifth graders walk into a United States senator's office and tell them off, and tell them that they only really have, really have twelve years to live, and no know all else that they are at ten years old, we got a problem. The Bible says there will become a day when children and women shall be your rulers. The Bible says unthankful, unholy. These are explanations of what takes place in the days of apostasy in the last times. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. There'll come a day when they call evil good and good evil. Traitors, heady, high-minded, arrogant, in in other words. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Hey, not in my notes, it just popped in my head. The reason why our churches all across America are not, I'm thankful that we're half full this morning, but I guarantee you we could, we, could, we could have double the crowd here and still have a few seats left over. The reason why churches all across America are half full, a quarter full, one, one-tenth full, whatever, it's not because there's a lack of Christians out there, but let's be honest, there's people that love pleasure more than they love God. Amen, I like to, do I i to appreciate it, you're here this morning. There's people, there's Christians that love sleep more than they love God. That's why they're not in church. Let's be honest. People love food more than they love God. People that love their, their, their lifestyle more than they love God. They love their work more than they love God. In the last days, men shall be lovers of their own selves. Lovers of God, more lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Skip down. Having a form of godliness, verse five. God bless you. But denying the power thereof from such turn away. Verse number seven, for time's sake, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Men of corrupt minds, it goes on and on. But notice the when the of this time of apostasy. It's the last days. Consider for a moment the welcome in this time of apostasy. It's a welcome by a wicked generation. Jesus, when he talked about a demon being cast out and then that person inviting him in again, Matthew 12, 45, he said these words, Then goeth he, Jesus said, and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall also be unto this wicked generation. 2 Timothy three thirteen. 13, the Bible says, But evil men and seducers show ex worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's astounding that we have full-blown on display. I never thought I'd say, and most of you know my political bent, You say, Preacher, you're just biased. No, I believe I get it from the Bible. But I never thought I'd say the day when I look at Barack Obama, and I'd say he's more conservative than what we got going on, or Hillary Clinton or Bill Clinton, than what we got going on in present, and uh, the, the, those that are want to run for president of the United States and coming on, on board here in recent days and recent weeks full-blown, unapologetic in their socialism, in their communism, in their infanticide desires. It's amazing. The Bible says that they, they, they go there willingly, Romans 1, 32, Knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. We've now, we're now calling evil good and good evil. It's astounding what's happening. We're having this, this time as apostates, When the last days, the Bible says in the latter times, in the latter days, the welcome will be welcomed by this wicked generation, seven times greater than it was before. Then I want you to notice, thirdly, the waves of apostasy. I think of, uh, I said this way, and I I believe we're being tsunamied. You can't keep up with it. I listen to the radio, uh, it just takes a minute or two in the morning to listen to talk radio, and I'm... uh, you say, preacher, don't do that. I know, I probably shouldn't do it. I admit, sometimes it gets too much. But I hear what's happening in, our, in Hartford, Connecticut. I hear what's happening in D.C. I hear what's happening around the world in sound bites. And it's, it's, more, it's unbelievable what's taking place. And I feel like we're being tsunamied with these waves of apostasy. The psalmist said, David said in Psalm 22 and verse 5 and several times in the psalms, When the waves of death come past me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 24, verse 12, speaking of the waves of apostasy, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax a cold. These tsunami waves that are presently coming over our country and coming over the world for that matter, I call them really another byproduct, evolutionary waves of apostasy are upon us. Let me give you about a... Two-minute history lesson in the last 180 years. It started with Darwin's Origin of the Species in 1859. The full title, or or the Preservation of Favored Races. And it was added to Marxists and Engels' Communist Manifesto. This progression from atheism to evolution, to communism, to her sisters of communism, fascism and socialism, to euthanasia. To eugenics, to genocide, to wiping out of the Holocaust race. And we have people in our House of Congress who want to wipe out the Jews. To abortion, to a fanicide that we're seeing in the news every day in the last few weeks. To environmentalism worship. It's all a part of this continuing wave of apostasy. And it all started with Darwin's rejection. Not of creation per se, but of God. When you take God out of the equation, we learned about it in Sunday school. When you say, no, God, the fool has said in his heart, no, God. When you take God out of the equation, then man is left to his own, he, he, own evolutionary, devolutionary devices, professing themselves to be wise, they became his fools. In this theory of evolution, Professor Sedgwick, a Cambridge geologist, saw through Darwin's book at once, The Origin of the Species, and Survival of the Fittest, or the Preservation of human, uh, Favored Races. He described it, and I quote, this is Dar- he described Darwin's book as, quote, a dish of materialism, cleverly cooked and served up merely to make us independent of the creator. Evolution is there to make people believe there is no God. He declared, and i read again, that if when Darwin's theory was generally accepted, it would lead to the brutalization of the race, Let me say that again. He declared that if and when Darwin's theory was generally accepted, it would lead to the brutalization of the race. And our modern-day humanistic movement that has fully been fostered by the protégés of the past of Margaret Sanger, the mother of modern-day eugenics and darling of Planned Parenthood and the political left, is spotlighted every day in our halls of Congress today, every day in our schools. You say, I don't know who Margaret Sanger is. Let me, let me tell you who she is. She's a hero to many people, to the left for sure, to the pro-abortion crowd. She wrote in her letter to Dr. Clarence Gamble on December 19, 1939, and I quote word for word. She was reading, writing about the Negro Project. Margaret Sanger, the darling of Planned Parenthood, said these words, wrote these words, we don't want the word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. That kind of sounds like it could be a little racist to me. She went on to say, and the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. End of quote. She went on to write these words in Pivot of Civilization. She penned these words regarding the poor and the era of of, uh, philanthropy regarding immigrants, by the way. She wrote these words, they are human weeds, reckless breeders, spawning human beings who should have never been born. In 1957, she went on national television, you can Google it, with Mike Wallace. And she said these words verbatim, quote, I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into this world. So there should be no surprise when we have members of Congress last week in our halls of Congress say, and I quote verbatim, 29-year-old members of Congress say these words, our planet is going to hit disaster if we don't turn this ship around. And it's so basically like, I love how these Generation Xers, Millennials use this like, there's a scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult And it does lead, I think, young people to have a legitimate question. You know, is it okay to still have children? This is from members of Congress. You see, this this happens when we follow the evolutionary train of thought. This is what happens when we adopt the apostasy. We take God out of the equation. We say he's no longer God. Jesus Christ can't be God. He's a man. In the latter days, men are going to have teachers say, Coming after, with itching ears, I just got ahead of myself. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2 now, or chapter 4. Look still in verse number 1. Notice the mind, or rather the, the times of the apostates, the face of the apostates. But then notice, if you would please, the ears of the apostates. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed, giving heed listening to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, listening up. The Bible says in Second Timothy 4, verse 13, that there will come a time when men will depart from the faith and they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I've already said it, I think I said it in science school, I'll say it again. You tell a lie long enough, the communists know this, people begin to believe it. There was a day 50 years ago when we were going to have a new coming ice age. And then, now there's a day when we're going to have global warming. And that didn't sell after 40 years, so now we have climate change. It covers both sides of the equation. You tell a lie long enough, it becomes science, it becomes fact. We know that we all evolved from an evolutionary process, and only a dummy would think otherwise. Oh, okay, I'm an evolutionary blob. There is no God. Only fanatics believe in God. The ears of the apostles, they begin to give heed. They listen, first of all, to seductive spirits. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24, verse 24. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. These spirits are seductive. You know what makes a counter bill, uh, counter hundred. Uh, let me try that again. A hundred dollar bill, counterfeit hundred dollar bill looks so real. It looks so real. It, fake, it can fake out now. They got the, the yellow markies, of course they've had for years, and so were, we're trying trying to stay ahead of the curve and so forth. And we do for the most part. But what makes the counterfeit look so good is it looks just like the real thing. And these apostates, see, they're through seductive spirits, and they're so seductive. Jesus said, or rather John said in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You see, these ears of the apostles, they listen to seductive spirits, but secondly, they listen to satanic suggestions. Notice what it says back in verse 1 still. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines... I'm trying to teach you good doctrine this morning. There's doctrines of the Christian church, there's doctrines of the Bible, and there are doctrines, there's doctrines of devils. And three things about these satanic suggestions. First of all, they are smooth. They're really smooth. I'm not an eloquent speaker, as you all know. I try. I try really hard, but I've <laughs> got a long ways to go. But they're smooth. They're silver tongued. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 30 and verse number 10, the people of Israel said, Which say to the seers, or the prophets, in other words, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits, tell us lies, don't tell us what we want to know, tell us what we want to hear. There's a difference. Jesus said, and Brother Paul said in Romans chapter 16, verse 18, for they are that such should serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple, smooth talkers. And I'm just going to, I'm not trying to castigate any specific church. I'm just saying what I know to be true. We have a, Walmart Christianity going on in America in the last number of years. We have a consumer-friendly Christianity. We have churches that are adapting to what do the people want? What do they like? And it leads to all kinds of things, smooth things, positive things. Something good is going to happen to you. Negative is not part of the equation. But I want you to know that, there, that what I've said many times, but the, what makes the positive so positive is negative so negative. There is a hell. There is a hot hell. There's a fiery hell. It's a real hell. But there is a heaven. And it's real. And God didn't want people to go to hell. So He gave an alternative. And His alternative is in His Son, Jesus Christ. He paid it all. But they, spoke, they speak smooth words. These satanic doctrines of devils, they're not only are they smooth, but they're sensual. Genesis 3 should be Genesis 3, 6. It says 5 in your bulletin there. But Genesis 3, 6, the woman said, saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to, to be desired to make one wise. And she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband, and he did eat. They saw it and looked good. We're all about body. We're all about flesh. We're all about sensual. We're all about visual. We're all we all look on things of earth and not on things in heaven. Paul said. Sensual things that pleases us. James 3.15, 3, 3, this wisdom, this sensual wisdom, descendeth not from above, but it's earthly sensual, devilish. There are two worlds of wisdom, the wisdom of, of, of God and the wisdom of man. The way, the, the, the way of man is death. leads me to this third truth about this defining the doctrines of devils. It's, it's smooth talking, it's sensual, and then they are, thirdly, these apostates, they're secular. First 1 first Corinthians three nineteen: For the wisdom of this world is foolishness of God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Colossians 2, 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. They're secular in their mindset. and they're, they're, They mock everything that's of Christianity and of God. We get to verse number two, and notice if we can please for a few moments now, notice the mind of the apostates. We see the ears of the apostates, they, they give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We see the, the, the times of the apostates as being the latter times, and we see the days, or rather the fact of the apostates, the Spirit speaks directly, expressly, that it's true. But now I want you to notice the mind for a few minutes. The mind of each apostate. First of all, there are people that forbid start giving definitions of their de- defining their mind. Uh, it says speaking lies in hypocrisy, verse number two. Their deception. They speak lies in hypocrisy. I really believe that many an evolutionist. If you get a chance to your evolutionary friend or buddy, if they're a smart person, which most of them probably are highly intelligent in some of their own way, earthly way. Tell your friend, let's call, her, let's call your friend John or your lady friend Susie, okay, John or Susie. They're propagating their evolutionary stuff and you're, you acknowledge him as a pretty smart person. Maybe look him in the eye and tell him this. Say, John, I don't believe for one second you're that dumb. You're not that, pardon me, marty-shot slang. You're not that stupid. You don't really believe we came from nothing. As you're in your factory, and you're in your shop making that engineering design. Tim's not with us, and Mr. Engineer, that downstairs, but making that engineering masterpiece that was thought up and, and 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 drawn out and planned and perfected and and played out. Tell your evolutionary friend you don't believe in that there was a big bang once upon a time, and from nothing came everything over oh, a few hundred billion years. You don't believe that. You see, I don't think they're dumb. I think they're liars. Tell them they're a liar. You say, that's terrible. Well, tell them in love. Yeah, let God be true, but every man a liar. The fool of sin in his heart, there is no God. They're deceived. They speak lies in hypocrisy. They know they're speaking a lie is the point. Well, we can't. I mean, what's the alternative to evolution? God. Creation. Now there's accountability. So the mind is a mind of deception. Deceivers and being deceived. One of two categories. Then I want you to notice verse 2. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Notice their destruction. Their conscience is seared with a hot iron. I wear clothes this morning. You notice that. I still wear these ties that I do hate. I don't know why I have this. Uh, why do I have that thing? Let's get rid of that thing. That looks so stupid, I admit. I wear this. I'm hot in my co- I got my dress shoes on. I hate these dress shoes. But I wear it every week of my life. It's how I was trained. Forgive me. I'm sorry. But I. I wear clothes because you know why? I'm self-conscious. <laughs> Believe me, if I go swimming, and I do go swimming from time to time, every once every three years, I wear a lot of clothes. <laughs> and it's not because I want to stay warm. It's I'm self-conscious. I was created in the image of God. He gave me self-consciousness. He gave me sin consciousness. He gave you sin consciousness. There are things that people know are wrong, even if they don't know the Bible. There's soul consciousness. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. How did this happen? There must be a God in heaven. When you suppress soul consciousness and sin consciousness and self consciousness, it leads to a seared conscience. And you mark it down, it leads to your own destruction. For professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They turned the the truth of God into a lie. They worshiped the creature more than the creator. Their own destruction, the apostasy, the the explaining apostasy, their conscience seared with a hot iron. So Bishop, remember how many remember Bishop, uh, what was his name, Bishop Pike? Was that his name 40 years ago? The Episcopalian Bishop. I I got reacquainted with him in... uh, on the, the web here this last week. I don't know why he was in the news, but he died 40 years ago in Judea in the desert. But he was Episcopalian preacher, priest, a short version of the story to get to the punchline. He was a orthodox, if there was such a thing, in the 1940s and 50s, orthodox Episcopalian priest, and he apostated from the faith, and he mocked everything there was about God to mock. He laughed at Jesus Christ, and they, they finally excommunicated him from the church. And he died in Jerusalem in the desert by, the, by Masada, Karen, by the way. they found him dead in the desert at 50-something years of age. But the doctrines, this, this destruction. But I want you to notice verse number 3 now. Notice the mind of the apostates. We see their, their deception, their destruction. But thirdly, notice thirdly, if you would, their, their doctrine. It says these words, forbidding to marry the attack on marriage, marriage is becoming obsolete. I don't have weddings hardly anymore, any longer. Nobody's getting married anymore. We started living together many years ago. Our states redefined what marriage is. Our countries redefined what marriage is. It never, hey, I'm just telling you, as an Ohio homegrown boy in 1050, I don't know when, it never, never entered my mind that one day a man could marry a man or would marry a man. Never was a blip on the radar screen. Never one time did ever think that a woman could marry a woman or would marry a woman. And never was a thought. Now it's common day. The day is coming. We're adults, we've got to be able to handle this. The Old Testament spoke, in fact, it uses the word bestiality. The day is coming when you can marry your dog. Marry your horse. You say, oh, come on, preacher, don't get crazy. I'm not getting crazy. No. South America, I think they're marrying trees now. I'm not joking. Forbidding to marry. Attack on marriage. And notice what it says, verse number three. Forbidding to marry and commanding commanding to abstain from meats. Now, let me get real nice here because I really, honestly, I'm not no funny intended at all. Zero. We may have some vegetarians in our midst here. If you're a vegetarian, God bless you. I'm, I'm I respect you. Uh, you know, probably, probably. I, I suppose I could take a page from your playbook, but I don't want to. No offense. I like my meats. You can tell. I know. But forbidding to abstain from meats. Now we have vegans. I'll be nice here. It's okay. You want to be vegan? Go ahead and be vegan. I believe in a free country. You want to be a vegan? Be a vegan. You think it's healthful? You know, I I'm not trying to be funny when I say this, but I I I think God made those chickens for a reason. (laughs) I really do. I I like eggs. I'm not trying to be. I'm really not trying to be funny at all here. But I I mean, this is like first. This is like kindergarten stuff. I think God made cows for milk, call me crazy, and for steak and prime rib too. I, I, I really think so. I mean, I think that's the purpose why they, God created them. You say, no, God, first of all, God didn't create them. And, God, and they're there they're because they're, they're, a, they're a respectful being and a respectful animal. We've got to re- respect their rights. We could have fun and I'm not even trying to have fun. I'm commanding to abstain from meats. So we have a United States senator that's running for the presidency of the United States and may become our next president. That's a vegan and says that yeah, you don't want to consider maybe being a vegan yourself. Now you want to make any laws that way, would you? You know, it's one thing to be a vegan yourself, it's another thing to make a law. You ever heard of Michael Bloomberg? We've got to make laws about everything now. Too much soda, let's tax it more. Too much sugar and drinks, let's tax it more. They're, it's evil. We have a new morality, see, and it's, and it's spawned by the apostates. You say, I don't like this preacher. Listen, this is their doctrine. They forbid to marry. They command to stay, abstain from meats. That's what the Bible says. Now it goes on to say, verse number three, who created these meats? who ordained marriage, which God had create, hath created, To be received with thanksgiving. We used to call it holy matrimony. We used to say meat was okay. Giving uh, giving of them which believe and know the truth. Thanksgiving, pardon me, of them which believe and know know the truth. Notice their, their doctrine. We go on to verse number four and five and it clarifies For every creature of God is good. And nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. I told the story. I have to do it quickly, but I made a mistake. We were in Bonnie and Karen again. You guys were in Jerusalem. You know what I'm talking about. We ate in Jerusalem. We found an American hamburger place in Jerusalem. I purposely scouted it out myself. I wanted to get a hamburger. Well, you can't get cheeseburgers in, in, uh, in, in Israel. Or, or bacon. No, that's, bacon's pretty tough to come by, too. That's definitely contraband for sure. So we had a hamburger. That's the best I could do. I'm not making this up, but next to the hamburger joint, I don't know if you went to the same place as we went to, but down the, there was an ice, ice cream place. And so we didn't have a cheeseburger. We could have a hamburger, but we, we didn't serve ice cream at the hamburger place, so we went across the street. It was open air uh, uh, cafe-type thing. And we went, and we got ice cream cones. So we brought them back. We were eating our ice cream cone with our hamburger. And a guy, in a waiter, came up with a gun. By the way, no joke. All those, all those men carry guns over there in Israel. And he said uh, he was real nice. He said you can't eat both here. This is uh, kosher. This is uh, we can't mix the two. Yes, sir. No problem. (laughs) Wasn't that bad. He was very nice about it actually. But we get to eat ice cream, bacon, New Testament. And God said, you be sanctified by the word of God, verse number five, by sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So when I had my chips and salsa last night, I thanked, thanked, sanctified by the word of God in prayer. The doctrine of, the doctrine of the mind of the apostates. But then notice lastly, verses six to eight, and I've been trying to hurry. Notice the cure of apostasy. This world is, We've got a little silly, a little bit of fun for maybe by accident a little bit here in the last few minutes, but this world is heading down the, Brother, Paul, Brother Mark used the word this morning here, the rabbit hole of apostasy. We're going down and down, we're drilling down and down and down, we're slouching towards Gomorrah. We know how Gomorrah ended up. What's secure to apostasy? Well, it's threefold. Verse number six, notice it with me. If thou, we call that an if then clause, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Paul spoke to Timothy and said, Give them good doctrine. How do we have the cure to apostasy? By attendance to in the Word of God. You know, people are being, they're in attendance right now to, I don't know what's on TV this morning. I don't know if Oprah's on TV on Sunday morning or not. I don't know what they show on Sunday morning TV, but people are giving attendance to it, I promise you, by the millions. We need to give attendance to the Word of God regularly, faithfully. In public, in private, every way we can, we need to give attendance to the word of God. It's a cure towards apostasy. We need to hear the good, good words, good truth. We need to be nourished. We need to get spiritual food. Verse number seven. But refuse profane in old wives' fables. That word fables is the word muthos. We get our word myth from, or myths. But refuse profane in old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness, Notice how do we cure apostasy? By avoidance of the worthless. Avoid certain things to just be, that are worthless, not even worth our time and our effort. 2 Timothy 2.23 says, But foolish and not questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. How many angels can you fit on the head of a needle, or pin of a needle, or rather the head of a needle? Where did Cain get his wife? On and on we could go with endless genealogies and science falsely so-called and just wasting our time on things that don't matter. There's so many things that are worthless out there. I saw where the average kid spends seven hours a day on their cell phone, those that have cell phones. What are they doing for those seven, five or six or seven hours on that phone playing their games? Moo-moo and Momo, whatever it's called, and all the rest that's going on? Spending their time in worthless activity, filling their brains with garbage. Garbage in, Jesus says, man thinketh in his heart, so is he, garbage out. The cure to apostasy. We need to avoid the worthless, we need to attend in the word, but then let her her see on our worksheet, verse number eight. For bodily exercise profiteth little. God is not downing bodily exercise and, uh, you know, I always, I'm not trying to say this again without even no personal, it's too late, it's already happened here. Bodily exercise is a good thing. Some of you know it. I don't know it, but some of you do know it. Nothing wrong with exercise. I used to know once upon a time, but those days are gone. But it's not a bad thing. But a profits little. One day, you're going to die. Last night, in fact, it just popped in my head. I know Dan Dolan doesn't mean anything to you, but Dan Dolan, I was talking to Bob Ladigo last night on the phone. He's my college best, my, my high school buddy, and we graduated together in the same class. Dan was in our class. Dan was the Casanova. Dan married Debbie, you know, beautiful beauty queen Debbie. Just found out last night, Mark, did you hear Dan Dolan died? No, I didn't hear. Dan Dolan had it all. He had a big business in Ohio. Mr. Good Looking, Mr. Have Everything Together, Athlete, the whole nine yards. Dan's dead. It doesn't matter. Dan stayed in shape, by the way. I'm not dissing being in shape, I'm just saying, disappointed a man wants to die. That's reality. Bodily exercise profits for your three score and ten, for your three score years. However long you're on planet Earth, but notice what the reservoir says, verse eight. Let's finish it up. But godliness is profitable unto all things. What things? Having promise of the life that now is. Good things happen to faithful people, by the way. Good things happen to godly people many times on Earth, not always, but many times and of that which is to come. Notice the cure of apostasy is by attendance into his, in his word, by avoidance of the worthless, but then thirdly, by acceptance to the work, that work being the spiritual exercise. Look at verse 15 and 16 of the same chapter. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed to thyself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. I have to be careful. It's my closing illustration. We'll pray. I've said many times. There's a lot of advantages of being a preacher. I, 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 I get to know a lot. I'm not trying to be funny or facetious or even vain. I get to know a lot about things that none of you get to know about. People share their life stories with me many times. And I, some of you have done that. That's why it must be vague. But I've seen, I've lived long enough. I've had people in my office, now by the hundreds, don't say, oh, I was in the pastor's office. Are you going to use me? No, I'm not talking about you. And I see the result of living your whole life without God. You know, a year goes by you don't live without God five years goes by, you don't know for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Guess what? Newsflash. One day you die. All your profiting, all that you did, all that you lived for, all that waste, all that filler time, all that phone time, all that crazy time, it's gone forevermore. But godly... Exercise profits both now in this life. I've seen some families, and there's some families that represented in this church that for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, you've tried to live for the Lord, and your families are being blessed because of your living for right. Now, there's others that, to use a secular phrase in vogue now, not so much now, not so much. God calls us to work this spiritual exercise. I think that the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, and I think we're here, in times like these, we need a Savior more than ever before. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing doctrines, or seducing spirits, and doctrines of devils. Who are you living for in this day of apostasy? You living for the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ? Where you're just going along with the flow and just letting be what, what is. Let's have a word of prayer. And we're going to have an invitation here in just a moment. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, for, Lord, in times like these, we need a savior. In times like these, we need an answer. Lord, we're very sure, we're very sure that our anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Lord, I pray that we'd been blessed in our moments of invitation, Lord. There's times, and there's people in this room, I'm sure, if they were honest, Lord, with themselves, that they've been wasting away their days, and their days turn into weeks, and their weeks turn into months, and their months turn into years. Eventually, years turn into decades, and the decades go by, and life is over. Only one life to will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Lord, we could end negatively, but Lord, the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy, but you came to give life, give it more abundantly. We thank you for the overcoming abundant Christian life that we have in Jesus Christ. Help us to walk in him in these moments of invitation, we pray. We'll thank you for it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just stand to your feet. We're not going to sing this morning. would like to come to an altar this morning.